No one as a believer in Christ wants to admit it, but yes, we're all weird. We're concerned that if we go out and we tell somebody about Jesus, that somehow, some way, they're going to think we're weird. Well, the truth is, we are. And truth be told, very few people are completely normal anyway. Normal is way overrated. It's time we as believers begin to make a stand and begin to share what Jesus has done for us so that people can not only hear, but that they can respond and receive the gift of living water that leads to eternal life. My name is Trey Rhodes and I'm the Connections Pastor here at Northwood Baptist Church and it's great to have you with our audio study guide. We also have paper and materials if you'd like to use that. And so just contact me at Trey, T-R-E-Y, at NorthwoodBaptist.com and we'll be sure to put you on the list and you can have all the information that you need to uh, use these uh, studies to teach a small group, teach your family, teach uh, Sunday school or uh, anything or even just personal study. Uh, these are great opportunities that you have to, to use these to uh, study the Word of God and make it a part of your life. The way that we do it is we do what is called verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter Bible study and preaching. And so when we do that, you can go through the whole Bible eventually. Uh, we have uh, been going through Luke for just over a year now. We'll finish up around Easter time. And so we hope that you'll be involved as we continue not only in Luke, but on into the next book as God leads. My name is uh, Trey Rhodes, as I said, and, and uh, if you are a part of the Life Connection groups, we would like to welcome you, of course, as Life Connection group leaders. And we are looking for people who are good about leading discussions, who are sold out to Life Connection group and community, and also love to care for people. So if uh, you or someone you know falls into that uh, uh, list of things, then we would like to know that because I'd like to go out, take them out for coffee and share our vision and explain to them what we're trying to do. Also, we're going to have some uh, Life Connection Group training coming up, so if we can get some people in, that would be wonderful because we're going to be doing it towards the end of February, and we'll be doing it on uh, Sunday morning during the 9.30 and the 11 o'clock service if we need to. If we need to do 11 o'clock, we'll do that as well. So anyway, uh, just let us know, especially me when I say us, who, who would be involved and who you think would make a good discussion leader because we're not looking for people that have a deep theological background although they need to understand and believe the book and believe Jesus and uh, that Jesus is the only way and we're going to train you to understand what it means to be a, a Life Connection Group leader. So if that's the case, please let me know and uh, of course you can contact me as I already, already said, Trey, T-R-E-Y at NorthwoodBaptist.com. This past week, we had our missionary that we're looking to partner with in Ogden, Utah, uh, Brother Bobby Wood, who is the lead pastor of Redemption Church, share uh, from John chapter 4, and he went through uh, John uh, 4, 1 through 42, talking about the Samaritan woman and how uh, the opportunity we have to, to share the good news of Christ with people that are not like us. And so what he did is he uh, grew up here in the Charleston area and then headed over to uh, Ogden, Utah to start a church there and after, uh, after he did his theological studies. And uh, those people that are in Ogden, Utah are obviously not like us. Uh, they're Mormons. They don't believe like we do. 
they uh, are very moral people, but doesn't mean they're followers of Christ. So I would just like to uh, challenge you to understand that we as people of God also need to be willing to go out and to share the good news of Christ with people that are not like us. People that don't believe like us, people that don't act like us, people that don't have culture like us, maybe people that don't even have the same language as us. They are still in need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, we have all kinds of opportunities to share the good news of Christ. Um, we, we have uh, the opportunity to share uh, through video and streaming and podcasts like this and technology. We can text, we can email, we can do all kinds of, we can put it on the gram. We can do all kinds of things. But the truth be told, although there is nowhere in this world that people cannot hear the gospel, there's a lot of places that people are not hearing the gospel. And you think, how is that even possible? It's been 2,000 years. And so we're missing something huge and large. Uh, we've even uh, changed our, the way that we do things and think things. And we've even changed uh, how we act and how we respond. And, and so, you know, if the doctor came to us and told us that we needed to change our diet, we would be very, uh, very opposed to that. And many of us wouldn't even change our diet if it meant helping us. But if we believe that the Bible is true and that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, and uh, although the wages of sin is death, uh, we also believe in something called the wrath of God. And our sin has condemned us already. And what's awaiting most people is a real place called hell and not heaven. And we forget that reality, don't we? But it's part of the Christian life that we are called to do that. If you go to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we are given what, uh, what is uh, come to be known in many places as uh, the Great Commission, that we are to go to Judea, we are to be witnesses in Judea and in Samaria and into the uttermost parts of the earth. And so uh, Jesus understands that. So he understood that to reach Samaritans, he had to go to an uncomfortable place. And in the same way, we have to go to un uncomfortable places. The main point of this whole message that uh, Pastor Bobby Wood shared was to reach those kind of Samaritans, those people that are different from us. We have to go to uncomfortable places. We have to demonstrate uncomfortable love. And we have to share uncomfortable truth. Jesus had to pass through Samaria. And uh, that's what he said. Now, it sounds almost geographical that he had to because he had to get to a certain place and kind of you had to get through Samaria to get there, but that's not true. Jesus is in Judea, and he's going north. The Jews had a road that went around Samaria, so he didn't have to go through Samaria. And so what was it? It was a missional reason that Jesus went through Samaria. There, Jesus finds a well, and people would have to go and have a conversation there. Probably it was the middle of, uh, middle uh, time of the day, and uh, middle of the day, let me say it that way, and that's, where, that's when Jesus went to uh, Samaria. So we find first that Jesus went to uncomfortable places. We must go to uncomfortable places. And he went to in, into Samaria, and he was stopping at a well. Uh, so um, culture can be something that seems odd, can it? Uh, remember the grandmom? He told the story of the grandmother who didn't want her kids with the kids at a rough neighborhood. Well, this could have very easily been a rough neighborhood where Jesus was visiting. And that, that's the culture that we, that we are called to. God wants to use you and me to reach people that are not like us. He goes on and tells a story about why he's in Utah. Because 
These people need to know about Jesus, not because they're like him or not because they're just these wonderful people, although they're moral, uh, but not that he identifies with them, because they need, but they need to know Jesus. And so because of that, we need to go to uncomfortable places. And in our own lives, we need to do the same thing. And that uncomfortable place might be at work where we say, you know, I'm never going to bring religion into the workplace. That, that uncomfortable place might be your hobby where you say, well, I'm never going to bring religion, my, my religion, my belief in Jesus into uh, these places. All right. Uh, also, we must demonstrate uncomfortable love, uncomfortable love. Uh, now, okay, so what, here's what's happening. Here Jesus is talking to a woman in the middle of the day. Now, culture would have it that in that day that men weren't even supposed to talk to their wife in public. And so this conversation is different because of who you're talking to. This is somebody that you don't feel comfortable talking to. And in the same way, because of Jesus' culture and how he grew up, he probably did not feel comfortable talking to a woman in a public place uh, that anyone could see him. But the truth is, is that even in those places with uncomfortable people, uh, breaking our, our culture from what we would be comfortable in, the unconditional grace of God, and this is what Bobby says, Pastor Bobby, the unconditional grace of God should ooze from us. People know when you don't like them, don't they? Uh, we have lots of opportunities, by the way, with the election coming. There are going to be people that we are talking to that are going to be a lot different than us. Um, so we need to find ways to be able to share the good news of Christ with people that engage us, right? Now, in their case, they do block parties for the community, and the reason they do that is because they want to say we love you and we, we live a life like we believe. Uh, we, you know, water bottles. Uh, they told the story of the guy giving out water bottles, and he went into the restricted place that was reserved for uh, VIPs, and they were about to kick one of their church members out for getting in the VIP section during this par this uh, parade, parade the special VIP section. And one person who didn't know who they were asked, who are these people? Very disgustedly. And uh, one person piped up, well, this is Redemption Church. You know, they're that church that's always blessing our community. And so that's what we need to be. We need to be blessing people. And by the way, that's a great opportunity for you to stop and say, hey, Life Connection Group, we need to be blessing people. When we serve here at Northwood, or we need to find somewhere we can serve, right? We offer the love and grace to this world. We offer love and grace to a world that desperately needs the love and grace of God, the love and grace, and it need to see it oozing from us, and grace can be uncomfortable. Number three, we must share uncomfortable truth. Now, this is where it, it comes down to it. In verse 16, uh, Jesus tells her to go call your husband. Now, is the grace of God really for me? Is it really for me? You know, uh, here, here's this lady. She's had five marriages or five lo live-in lovers. We don't know uh, which it is. The, it could be either case, but it doesn't matter. It still uh, would have been looked down at. Both were taboo and not even talked about, especially in public, not at the well where everybody was gathered. Um, we are called to call, go to people where their past is really bad. But... We are also called to tell them that there is hope. And for that to be able to share, for us to be able to share, we've got to have boldness to be able to do that, to approach them with the truth that say that all have sinned, that you've sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
So unless they hear the hope of Jesus, they have no hope at all. And if we really believe it, how does that change your conversation? When you talk to people that you might not know, where you, where you might not speak their language, where you might not have their culture, where they might have come from another state, you know, we have a lot of people moving into our state of South Carolina. And the world is coming to us. And we should be willing to share the good news of Christ. Uh, there are places in this world where people cannot gather and preach the word or they're going to be sent to labor camps. There are other places where Christian singing is illegal. If the government hears them, they're going to be put in jail too. By the way, we are weird. You might as well face it. Go ahead and admit it. We started the whole thing with that. And so we might as well go ahead and share the gospel. It doesn't matter whether you think or they think or we think or that whoever thinks that uh, we're weird because we are already. Already. Um, now, so here's what happened. They come back to Jesus, and when they get to Jesus, he says, I've, I've uh, taken food that uh, people don't know of, and they had gone off to buy some kosher food, food that they could eat as Jews. And uh, they, they had come to Jesus, and they did find some. And so they gave it to him, and they said, Rabbi, eat. And he did. And he says, I have food you don't know of. And they're thinking, who's feeding you? And then he goes back, and he says, my food is to do the will of God, the will of him who sent me. Now, guys, think of this. Are you so concerned for the will of God that food is secondary to it? That's who Jesus was. Um, there's been an explosion of interest in, in people since COVID, hasn't there? Matter of fact, our church has grown considerably since COVID. Uh, they say, people are saying, we want to know more about Jesus, right? Um, normal ones are, are coming, uh, coming to church, and, and other ones are coming to hear about Christ, and, and we see that the fields are white under harvest. They're not going to hear unless someone tells them. And that someone has to be you and me. There's no one else. That's God's plan. We are to be a herald of the gospel. I like this quote that Bobby used. He said, uh, quoting Charles Haddon Spurgeon, C.H. Spurgeon, he said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Which are you? You see, we he goes to the Mormons and shares Christ and, they always come back with their moral. But morality is not Christian. You can be moral and not be saved. So, they're believers. Or they need to be believers. Followers of Christ. Someone, maybe in your own life connection group, or not, is not a believer. They need to come to Christ. They mean, may need Jesus. And as believers, those in your Life Connection group, that God can use them and mobilize them to reach people, right? All right, well, let's jump into the questions. It's rather lengthy, so uh, I would go ahead and recommend that you pick and choose whatever you would like to use in this section. So I did do the uh, answers to the discussion questions. I know I sent it out wrong last week. I'll do my dead-level best to sing out, send out the right one. And uh, the, one that, the, the one that has the answers on it is literally the one that says answers to questions, and it'll have the date of the sermon last week. So the one for this week will be 0128, 
answers to questions John 4. So um, do use that, uh, and uh, it will help you. And just kind of pick and choose which questions you're going to use, okay? All right, let's begin. Uh, starting the conversation, uh, what I did is I got some of this material and tried to put it together so that we could use it. I did a little bit of research as well. So I used um, some things that are from uh, commentaries I have, study Bibles I have, and other things that hopefully will be helpful to you. And some of it was my own input. So hopefully with all that, we'll answer all these questions. And Logan wrote this out, so it's, it is kind of lengthy. Uh, and uh, so I hope that it'll help you. All right, so starting the conversation. Uh, first of all, Jews and Samaritans did not like one another for numerous reasons. Why is it difficult to love people who are different from you? Why is it difficult to share the gospel with people who are different than you? Well, there's various reactions from your group that you're going to get. Uh, so what you need to do is kind of help your LCG see and understand why different can be difficult. Okay, Help them see why different can be difficult. doesn't have to be, but why it can be. So let them tell you why using uh, why and let them use an example of a neighbor, a coworker, a fellow student, somebody like that. You know, this is why it's been difficult. They, 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 they didn't think like I did. They didn't act like I did. They didn't talk like I did. They don't have the same language, basic, the same base language as I do or whatever it is. And, and this is what made me uncomfortable. Just kind of have them share that. Number two, as we take a brief break from Luke, we must understand the context of our passage. So what I did... And you're welcome to use your own study Bible. I'm not going to read all this, uh, but uh, we talked about uh, who is John. Of course, this is John, the apostle of Jesus. He's the, referred to as the beloved. I'll give you a little bit more background than that if you want to use it. Who is he writing to? Is probably the larger Greco-Roman world in, in Ephesus, where he was, and beyond toward the, uh, of course, this was during the close of the first century. Um, and then why is John writing his gospel? And then the way that you can answer that is very easy, and that is by quoting John chapter 20, verses 30 to 31, and I also wrote that out for you. Jesus performed many signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So that's why it was written. How is John's gospel different from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Those are the synoptic gospels. That means they pretty much say the same thing. John's is a lot different. Gospel of John is different. 90% uh, of its material is unique. It doesn't focus on the miracles, the parables, and the public speeches that are so prominent. Instead, the gospel of John is um, written, written in such a way that they could hear who Jesus is, identify him, and how we should, as believers should respond to his teachings. Uh, briefly discuss what happened in John uh, chapters 1 to 3. John 1 is to talk to the beginning. Uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, with the eternality of the Son of God, Jesus. And then we had the introduction of his herald, John the Baptist. Uh, then John 2, we had the first miracle at Cana of Galilee. And then Jesus cleansed the temple in Jerusalem of the money changers. And then John 3, we had the secretive inqu inquiry of Nicodemus the Pharisee, who, uh, about who Jesus was and what he came to do. He asked him a lot of questions about who he was and what he was about and what his teachings meant. Uh, so Jesus shared that he was sent by God the Father to demonstrate his love for the world. Of course, John 3.16 is in John 3. And, uh, and to forgive our sin. All right, number three. Think about the parable of the Good Samaritan from Luke chapter 10, 25 to 37. 
what does Jesus say, or who does Jesus say our neighbor is? All right, so the Jews considered the Samaritans to be physical half-breeds who had intermarried with foreigners and were guilty of false worship. Um, so uh, Jesus goes back to the question which the story began, who is my neighbor? And the point was the Samaritan proved that he was a good neighbor by his gracious action toward the man who had been attacked by robbers. And Jesus replied to go and do the same, emphasize that Jews should love their Samaritan neighbors even as the good Samaritan in the story had acted in love towards the Jew. All right, second part of that question, how should the parable of the Good Samaritan cause us to think differently about the people around us? And I said, have your LCG people answer this question. How can we treat those we have as our own neighbors, friends, and at work and schoolmates? How can we go about sharing the good news of Christ with them? Something as simple as Google Translate can help if somebody doesn't speak your language. Number four, in what ways do you need to think rightly or differently about God and his work and salvation for you to view others rightly? Uh, something like this, we should... Uh, we should be about not what makes us uncomfortable, but about what is the mission of God. So we should not be worried about what makes us uncomfortable. It's about the mission of God, right? Um, God is always at work in millions of ways that we can't see. Am I right? You know, we don't know what God's do, doing in the background, and we, can, we, we don't know what he's done in that person's life to prepare us, prepare, to prepare them for the message we're about to share with them, right? His desire is that salvation was not only for people like you and me, but also people who are nothing like me, including our own enemies. Now, here's the second part of that question. In what ways do you need to think about yourself differently for you to view others rightly? Uh, you know, the, I would recommend you get them to come to this kind of conclusion. It was not only for me that God is concerned, it is for all the world, people like me and people who are radically different than me, as well as everyone in between. Next part of that question, number four. In what ways do you need to think about others differently so you can view them rightly? Think about this. People were made differently by God because of the background of their culture, their history, their beliefs, and the one who became like one of us now asks us to become all things to all people so that all means, by all means, we may win some, didn't he? By the way, that's 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9. That's called contextualization. The message never changed. How we share that message uh, should in, uh, be in order for all the world to be able to hear and respond. All right, so I'm typing out right now 1 Corinthians 9, and you can look up this specific verse. Uh, that that goes with. Uh, let's do some observation now after we do the intro, and you can use as many of that. Like I said, once you get everybody talking, then you might want to switch over. All right, so about 30, 35 minutes here. I uh, have someone read John 4, 1 through 6, and then start asking these questions. What was significant about Jesus going to Galilee? Uh, Jesus left the vicinity of Jerusalem and headed to the Judean countryside. In John in 4, verse 3, Jesus left Judea altogether returning to Galilee, and then he returns there. Uh, he returns there by going through Samaria. Now, I put a map on there for you to look at and use, and hopefully that'll help you to kind of describe uh, where Jesus went. It kind of gives you a description of his journey. Uh, second part of that question, why was it important that Jesus had to pass through Samaria? And although it was not geographical, remember, it was a missional reason. He had to travel. It was a sovereign plan of God. Now, you might want to look up John 9, 4, 10, 16, 12, 34, 29. All those verses are about the sovereign plan of God. 
uh, and, and Samaria would have been the most direct route, but strict Jews wishing to avoid defilement bypassed Samaria, but Jesus knew it was missional for him to go through. Uh, so uh, next part of that question, well, what was significant about Samaria and why was John causing his reader to think about Samaria? Well, Samaria was the former northern kingdom of Israel, if you remember. Uh, they were enemies before they were conquered by Assyria and were forced to, mix, to be mixed race because of these invaders. Uh, the people in Samaria, the Jews fought, thought, were not like the people of Jerusalem nor Judea. They were beneath them. These people were different in many ways. They had different history, different belief system, different culture, different lineage. Uh, when they were conquered some 150 years before Israel, they became a much different people uh, than the true Israel that the true Israel wanted nothing to do with. Uh, they wanted them to think about, uh, so what Jesus wanted is he wanted them to think about uh, their own prejudices and uh, why uh, they did not want to go there. So Jesus was very clear about going and, and uh, sharing the good news of Christ with them. Um, you know, even, even so much their national pride, the motivations of loving all the world, including Samaria, and we go and that's when we get into Acts 1.8. If you want to turn there and have someone read, Be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Separate the Judea people like us versus Samaria who were not like us. All right, uh, have someone read John 4, 7 through 15. John pointed out that the Samaritan was a woman. All right, here's the question. What was the conflict between Jews and Samaritans? Well, the Samaritans, therefore, were not worthy of the attention nor the love or concern of Jews. And that was the conflict. Um, they, you know, they were they they were so much different. They had different religious system, and really, it was a, a it was not just a religious difference. It was also a political difference. It was also a background difference. It's also a cultural difference. There's lots of reasons. Uh, we, we already covered in that question just above this. Uh, second part of that question: What was significant about Jesus interacting with a Samaritan woman? We talked a little bit about this. Uh, Jews often wouldn't even speak to a woman in public. So much part of their culture, they wouldn't even speak to their wife. Uh, multiply that cultural action against not only was it a woman, but this was an immoral woman. Jesus went against all cultural beliefs and actions to speak with this woman who was desperately seeking him and the truth in spite of her background. Further, Jesus was talking with a woman stemmed from the common Jewish teaching uh, that, um, and you can use this if you'd like to, uh, talking too much to a woman, even one's wife, was a waste of time. Yikes. I will never say that. Anyway, so uh, let's get on to the third part. Jesus and the woman began talking about living water. What did Jesus mean by living water? Well, Jesus meant living water like living water in a figurative sense, as, a, as God known as the source of life type idea, that the spring of living water, you can see it in the book of Jeremiah, see it in the book of Isaiah, also in Numbers chapter 20 where water gushed out of the rock which was a much-needed provision for the Israelites. So really, he was talking about this life that came from water. And she was confused. The woman thought that it meant it was a spring water, like living water. Living water literally means something that's moving. And so literally, she thought he meant fresh spring water. That's why she went off into this thing about it being deep. Uh, she thought he was talking about Jacob's well, deepest, very possibly the deepest well in Palestine, more than 100 feet, and probably a, a stream went underneath it at the bottom of it. And uh, so uh, it was fresh or living water, and that's why. All right, so what did Jesus say was the result of having living water? Well, the water that Jesus was giving out 
would spring up and give the one who received it eternal life. All right, jump down to question number three. Uh, John 4, 16 to 22, Jesus identified sin in the woman's life. Now, how did she respond when he identified her sin? Well, she recognized, first of all, he was a prophet and one who spoke the truth from God himself. Uh, the, the woman recognized that Jesus knew her life circumstance without apparently having been told by anyone, so he must be a prophet. So once Jesus identified her sin, the woman changed the direction of the conversation, didn't, didn't she? She said, now why do you think that she changed that direction? Um, why, why did she change it to worship? Well, um, she didn't want to speak about her sinful lifestyle, did she? And that was humiliating, especially when speaking with a prophet. She would discuss their religious differences, which was much more acceptable than speaking about sin, her sin in public. She certainly didn't want that to get around. Maybe some people knew, but it was just an embarrassing thing to talk about. Like we said earlier, it was a taboo situation. Uh, so what was going on was, and that goes to the next question, leads to the next part of this question. The Jews and Samaritans had different ideas of the proper place of worship, didn't they? So why was this? Why was it so significant? Well, the fathers who worshipped on this mountain, a reference to Mount Gerizim, by the way, and you can, I gave you some scriptures to look up for that, is the Old Testament setting for the pronouncement of blessings for keeping the covenant. And the mountain Moses uh, commanded, an, uh, that he commanded an altar be, to be built, including Abraham and Jacob, and uh, that was, so this was a big deal. So she was speaking of the reason and defending why their religions had diverted from one another. She was also saying that we both have reasons to worship in different places. Okay, so Gerizim was a big deal. And she was saying, you know, we, we ought to be able to worship there. A lot of good stuff happened there. Uh, next part of that question, what did Jesus mean that salvation was from the Jews? Well, regardless of where your people worship, they had to get the, to the source of their worship. And they had to get it right. Jesus confirmed and confronted her with wrong religion and that relied on her own beliefs of the Samaritans. They were the former northern kingdom, remember, of Israel. Under King Jeroboam, who had built his own altar, so his people would not feel compelled to go to Jerusalem to worship. And they were supposed to, they worshiped rightly. She believed that the Samaritans worshiped rightly. However, that could not be the case because Messiah could only come through the lineage of David, never Jeroboam in his lineage. So it wasn't an either-or situation. It wasn't like all roads lead to heaven. All roads lead to the truth. And it's your truth and all those things we even hear today. Uh, you Samaritans worship what you don't know. Probably he was alluding to the error of the woman's ancestors who had accepted a syncretism of foreign deities with the ancestral God of the Jewish faith. All right, number four. Uh, so I'm going to read John 4, 23 to 26. What did Jesus mean by true worshipers? Well, true worship and therefore true worshipers were those who worshiped of the Spirit, which means that the worshiper must deal honestly and openly with God. She, on the contrary, had been very standoffish, very furtive, and unwilling to open her heart to God at, the, at, at first, right? So what did, what did it mean to worship the Father and Spirit in the truth? Well, Jesus was endeavoring to convey to the woman that God cannot be confined to one place or, con, or conceived of as, one, uh, as a material being. He can't be represented adequately by an abstract concept. Only the word became flesh could represent God adequately. So the Samaritan woman is now seeking for the Messiah. And what type of Messiah was she, was she looking for? Well, she says, you know, I, she says these words. I know the Messiah is coming. He's going to tell me everything. And just this hope that uh, when she found God, they, he would explain all these things to her. And the sincere, vague hope that Jesus uh, 
founded his appeal, though, for her spiritual consciousness. So she, he used what she was saying improperly to find her spiritual consciousness and begin to speak to her. So what did then Jesus tell her about the Messiah? He openly declared, and he didn't do it often, that he was Messiah. This was one of the, one of the occasions when Jesus did voluntarily declare his Messiahship. And uh, the synoptic gospels show that normally he didn't do that. Matter of fact, he would tell them not to say anything about it. In Galilee, where there are many would-be messiahs and all this unrest, such a claim would have been dangerous. But in Samaria, it would have been regarded as more religious than political, and, and, and people would have liked to hear about it, and it wouldn't have caused a revolt. All right, I have someone read John 4, 27 to 30. Why did the disciples marvel at the fact Jesus was talking with a Samaritan woman? Well, the woman stemmed from the common Jewish teaching, talking too much to a woman. We talked about that earlier. So what was significant about the fact that they did not say anything but did Jesus or rebuke him? They were surprised to find him talking with a woman, an apparent violation of custom, but they respected him too highly to question his behavior. Beside that, they knew that this was his mission. Why was it important that a Samaritan woman, particularly this Samaritan woman, went into the town to tell people about Jesus? Well, it was important simply because this woman had made her way back to Sychar to report the interview to her fellow villagers, and she was so excited that she forgot her water pot. So the village... Uh, she was bold enough to suggest that perhaps this new person she met might be the Messiah. You don't suppose it could be the Messiah, could you? Uh, which is a good translation of her words. All right, John 4, uh, 31 to 38. John shifts the discussion from water with the Samaritan woman to bread with the disciples. What was important about this? What did Jesus say about his food? And had they relate to his work? We talked a little bit about this. But anyway, the disciples were amazed that Jesus was, was not hungry and wondered whether Somebody else had given him food, kosher food, found him kosher food. So he tried to tell him that the satisfaction of completing the work the Father had entrusted him was greater than any food he might have been given. If they had to, right? Uh, in verse 4 reflects the plan of the Father for this trip. Jesus was telling the disciples, he did not live on bread alone, did he? Matthew 4.4. 4. Jesus said the fields were ready for harvest. What did he mean by this? Well, Jesus was pointing out that the spiritual harvest was always ready. It must be reaped before it spoils. And as he's speaking, they're leaving the town and coming across the fields. Who are the fields? Next part of the question, particularly as it relates to the story. Well, the fields are the Samaritans. And it's implied by them coming across the fields to see Jesus. Who is the sower and who is the reaper? Well, the disciples were going to reap. And Jesus, obviously, at this point was a sower. Now, we are also called to be sowers and reapers as well. Uh, we have some very good discussion about that in 1 Corinthians 3, 6. If you want to look at that, we probably don't have time to look that up. But if you'd like to and maybe get some background information, you can do it. Finally, number seven, I'll uh, have uh, someone read John 4, 39 to 45. How did people respond to the woman's testimony? Well, the woman's witness opened the way uh, to him for the villagers. So if this Jesus could penetrate the shell of her materialism and present a message that would transform her, the Samaritans could also believe that he might be the Messiah. How do the people respond to the, to the woman after they met Jesus, and why was this important? Well, by hearing them for themselves, this was, this was not only a decision by the people to trust what she said, now they were going to experience it for themselves. And it brought them into a settled conviction expressed by, we know. And then it says, no longer implies that they maintain their belief in him but they not solely based on the woman's testimony. They had progressed from a faith built on a witness of another to a faith that was built on their own experience. All righty, let's get into the interpretation, theological reflection. Of course, I, I give you some words to use. Uh, we should begin to talk 
about who Jesus is, uh, death, burial, and resurrection, of course. Of course, the living water and how we receive eternal life. I go through that on there if you want to use that. And then, of course, uh, I got ahead of myself. The interpretation. Uh, be sure to use words like eternal life, Samaritans, Jesus, Messiah, truth, worship, and spirit. It makes sense in the past tense in order to understand what these people who were written to would have needed to understand so that they could understand. Application, and this is going to be a lot of your people, but how does this passage help us understand the mission of God? It's our purpose to be on mission with those God brings to us who are not only like us, but those who are not like us at all. Number two, how does this passage inform us of what we should, how we should love, who we should love, and how we should love them? We love those who we think of as our enemies or people that make us uncomfortable. These are they that Jesus offers living water to for eternal life. Number three, how does this passage help us see God rightly, ourselves rightly, and others rightly? Well, we see our God as the one who loves all the world, not just people that are like us and speak and think like us. We see others as people that Jesus died for. It doesn't matter their background, religion, or ethnicity. And again, have you guys kind of think this thing through we've been talking about and have them share these things. And four, what steps do you need to take this week to see others around you rightly? Have them share what kind of loving and caring steps they can take. Uh, Jesus, uh, you know, what uh, Bobby shared, Pastor Bobby shared about having those block parties, going and sh sharing bottles of water, and these are the people that have blessed our community. What can you do to bless your community, your neighborhood, your friends, your family, uh, people around you? And number five, what is your next step in serving on God's mission? Have them share something they can do, not what they can't do. Everybody's going to say, well, I can't. Well, we're not asking you to do what you can't do. What can you do to serve on God's mission now this week? All right. Well, that's all we have for you. It's been a little long today, so I hope it helped you. And uh, you might need to trim up this and use it, uh, you, basically get the most important parts. But I did want to go through the whole thing with you so you would have it available. So let me pray for you, and we will see you on Sunday morning. Father, thank you that you have called us as your children on a missional journey to reach those that are not like us. Doesn't mean we ignore the people that are like us either. But Father, we can't just say, well, I'm not going to work, minister to them or, work, or, uh, or share the good news of Christ with them because they're not like me. We've got to be go beyond our borders. We've got to go beyond our barriers. And we've got to break them down, knock the walls down, and go out and share the good news of Christ with those who are different. So Lord, give us the direction, give us the leadership, help us to know what to do, and then to do it with all our might. May we share that with those who are in our Life Connection group, and they, may they get a vision for that as well. And Father, most of all, if there's someone in our class that doesn't know you, our group that doesn't know you as Savior and Lord of their life, may today be the day that they surrender to Jesus. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening.